0: Okay, welcome to Moana a New Podcast. My name is Alan Z. Hi, nice to meet you. We're we're true. Hello. Uh, I guess I'll start it off. I want to jump right into half and that era. For you, what was it like to be part of the golden era of UPM before CD?
1: <laughs> That's a good question, actually. Honestly, at the top, if I'm being 100% honest, it was, first of all, one, amazing to be number one of on the call show of a sitcom every actor strives and wants to be number one black actors are rarely a number one or were at that time i should say it's changed now so that was fantastic and i love being silly and entertaining people um the second part is though i came out of the 90s from doing movies and back then and movies were super separate one was more prestigious than the other it doesn't really matter because they were all the same But that was my first real foray into doing television. And so to be able to do it and be number one on the college, was amazing. That said, I feel like UPN, CBS owned UPN. uh, And I think they treated us like a second stepchild, to be 100% honest. That's my truth about that. They paid us less. They gave us less attention, less press. And sometimes it seemed like we were an afterthought. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of networks, you you know, they built their network up on the backs of Black people, just like WB right. had done when it first started. So it made sense and all folded into WB mm-hmm. at a certain point. But I did say, oh, I get it. It's the end of us and the beginning of Pretty White Teenagers. And I was not wrong. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So you but there is a little more diversity on those shows now, at least. So it's not just a yeah. sidebar to
0: that. I know you mentioned movies. so I wanted to jump into your film career. So the CB4 being like one of the rooms, could you walk us through how you met Chris Rock and how that led to your audition?
1: Oh, you know what? I did have a leg up in that, actually. <laughs> I'll fully admit this. But I-, I met Chris Rock because I was working as a dialogue coach with Raven Simone. Right after the Cosby show ended, Raven Simone was doing her own new pilot TV show. It was filming on the Saturday Night, night Live soundstage because they were off for the summer. So uh, I think the first time I met Chris, I had these two little children, and then I dialogue coach Raven and the other boy on the show. And, and Chris just happened to be stopping by and he said hello. And so that's how we met. Now, that's why I say I had a leg up, right? Because if I just auditioned for it without meeting him, would I have got it? Maybe, but maybe not. But also, I bring that up to say life is random. You never know where you're going to meet someone is the truth. And how you respond to them in that moment is probably, I was probably nice to him. And so he went, oh, okay, we'll read her for this movie where a lot of times people meet strangers and maybe they're a little like gruff with them yeah, or this or yeah. that and you never know here's my thing you just never know right. i'm not saying be nice for the sake of moving ahead i'm saying be nice to everyone because that's how you like to be treated and if some of those people happen to be people who can help you even the better yeah. for the better does it that's that really reminds, the truth i don't ahead. know if you
0: ever read uh, michael kane's book on acting there's a section where he talks about you have to be nice to like when you're acting 24 seven. So yeah. being friends with like the bus driver could lead to something. Because if you're addicted, H- he could be the cousin of the director of the, and you just don't somehow- have- That's the- very
1: true. Again, I say, we shouldn't be nice to people just because they could possibly help us. That's no, very, mini- and because the- that's manipulative, right? Exactly. And we don't want to do that. We want it to be organic. So I would say that I've had luck in terms of that in my career, just organically meeting people. Yeah. Not being an asshole. Yeah. Which is helpful. Not that I'm not. Sometimes I am. But generally, I like people, you know, so be friendly. And then you just never know. The guy, when I was working on The Craft, the guy who picked us up, he was a production assistant. You're the lowest on the totem pole, basically. Yeah. He was picking us up in his very beat of car, Rhiannon. And then two years later, he had an office at Sony. That didn't actually help me. He never called me in. But my point is, what if I'd been a real asshole to him? You're just a PK picking me up. I don't think like that at all, by the way. But at all, don't take that sound bite and make it sound like I'm an actor. But I'm saying, what if we treated him like a servant instead of a peer? Because for all I know, he might have called me in on his projects. And I just don't know it because he's all head at the top now. So, yes. I wouldn't say you're acting 24 7. Well, not.
0: You're in the career 24 like, 7. You are absolutely in the you, career. What you say, what you put out in the world, it's going to reflect back on you because it's going to ultimately, like, I in the room and be like, what well, do you like her? Which means to me. That's
1: right. In fact, for for water, people who want to be actors out there, they all talk to each other. They all call each other and say, how was Rachel on set? Was she an asshole yeah. or was she cool to work with? Because I don't want to be stuck with an asshole for eight months out of <laughs> year. And sometimes the better actor might actually not get it because they have a rep for being difficult and nobody wants to be around that. And the, uh, I was, just, you didn't ask, but I want to kind of segue this to you, the lovely Julian Sands, who is, they just, he went hiking. He was missing for quite a while and they just found his remains. Rest in peace, the lovely Julian Sands. He's the, he was the warlock. He was all these great roles. He was so fantastic. Okay. Spend time with him. My very first convention was with Julian Sands. And I was so nervous, because just meeting people, and I didn't also grow well, up. The whole convention thing really threw me off. I got off. Anyway, Julian said to me one day, said, oh, darling, Rachel. He said, darling, it's like, it's like a two-minute play you're putting on for them. It is a two-minute play for an audience of one. And you give them your full attention. Your full attention. And he's so right about that, whether it is a, a movie you're doing where you're giving yeah. your full attention to your scene partner, right? Locked into you, there's a camera right there, but I'm talking to you right. and you have my attention. It's the same way when I do these because I overstand, I like the word overstand. It makes more sense than understand. I, so I overstand that these are people who spend. spent they're all money, they're hard earned money yeah. to come here and their hobbies, movies, and all of this. I want to give them the best experience that they can and something to remember. I like to chit chat a little bit with people when they come by. Mm-hmm. And then no, I want you to it comes full circle a lot of people would... and just call, So I'. A couple of thanks for the question because a couple of reasons. One was, I I've always loved and utilized tarot as a way to therapize myself. I call it on the back of the box a shrink in a box for mm-hmm. a reason. Because it's such a great tool for that. It's something I was introduced to at eight years old. A friend of my parents came over and they gave me a deck. And when I was looking at the images on the deck and I went, I, wait, I know this. And then I circled back to the books that I'd pulled down from my father's library. And it was Carl Jung's Man and His Symbols and Nietzsche's Beyond But and Evil. Those are the two books when I was in foster care from zero to, nine, uh, zero to four. When I went to go live with my dad. Those are the two books I pulled down and I'm going to die. Mostly for the images, right? Of (laughs) course. But I could read at that age. But I was probably just looking at the images. So when I got the tarot deck a a few years later, I went, well, this is what they were talking about in that book. And this is a language I could learn to understand is what I realized with tarot. It was just a passion of mine through most of my life. And I used it to self-smooth and calm myself down in moments where I was like, (laughs) which is a lot of the time. So it was a tool for me. And so I decided to write the book. It just came up organically. And the way that we structured it, it's a how-to. So it explains to you how to do tarot, and it goes through the interpretations of all the cards. Then it also includes 22 personal memoirs that match up with the 22 major arcana cards. There are 22 main cards in the deck that are about big life. The rest of the cards in the deck are more day-to-day things. So I have an es- essay for the big life thing. And as I was saying downstairs, lit- some of the essays are like it was great and I just had fun. But most of the essays are literally me filleting myself and saying, "Here's where I messed up. Here's what I learned. And here's how I use terror to help me." Because if I've written a whole bunch of essays going, and then I went to the Vanity Fair party and dunked all up, you're like, "Oh, you had fun. That's all you get out of that, and- right?" But yeah. if I say, "Here's where I fell on my face," but I. Had the strength to get back up, release the shit yeah. of whatever I messed up, and then try it again. I just wanted to pass on something. Like, it really helped ground me. Again, when I was younger in Hollywood, I was usually the only black person in the movie. Only me, by myself, no allies, even if they they were not. Having a tool, like tarot, that I could go in my trailer and just go, oh, okay, And use it to settle things out. Because, yes, can you use it for, um, you you can use it to develop your intuition, too. Absolutely. And by that, we all have gut intuition, right? Our ancestors had gut intuition. Oh, there's a behind me. That's all it is. And I love that you're asking this, because when I first was talking about Tarot, a lot of my peers, especially my Black peers, were like, Tarot, no, you're the devil. And I was like, I hear you, but that's a real 1950s outdated white man's view forgive me but that's my truth out of, that. of what it is and also religion which is a beautiful thing also been used to yoke and control black people for quite a while uh, i will let you all fill in the rest but my thing with bringing it out was i know that a lot of my peers in hollywood are gonna judge me and make fun of me and all of that for it but yeah, i don't care this is my passion and it's helped me if it helps one other person out there then it's worse. And, and it has, I've gotten great response for it. I'm actually, I'm working on a second book that I just sold it to Hachette. And it's going to basically be a handbook. This is the, the name right now. It's not going to be the official name. Handbook for the Highly Sensitive. A lot of us are highly sensitive or we're empathic, right? Yeah. It's another book of essays going through my experience with that. But also it'll have like workbooks and things in there for people to, to develop. Because I think being, being highly sensitive you can feel like you're burr, being burnt. burned all the time yeah. when you have sensitivities. It is a little bit about learning to control that because as they see a lot of young empaths who come up to me and they're like, let me have a ride out. And right, the anxiety, <laughs> first of all, but second of all, these motherfuckers aren't going to change. It's us who have to use whatever tools we have, whether it's tarot or church or whatever it is, yeah. to get that strength in ourselves. But other people aren't going to, change. and that is a little controlling of us to want to say you must think like I do, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But the anxiety levels among our empaths are very overwhelming. So mm-hmm. that's something I'd like to help people through, and I'd like to, I'd like to write the book that I wish I had when I was younger. about that, like. Child and finding to grow and find more self himself and just seeing the black one the first. But I know and listen to a call and my love, but you were open, given. But what I need to? But I was still like that. You know, sometimes I have people told me that's what asked I thousand I, I percent understand that, but yeah. as I always point out, they are paper cards printed in chat. so yeah. magical. The magic is in what that image unlocks. Is <laughs> what, yes, it's the experience of the reading too, but it really is what that image unlocks in you because we, in an, an image, is going to be what it evokes in you on a visceral level. It's going to be completely different because your experiences are different and I'm going to see something different. That's the actual magic. To me, that, that doesn't have anything to do with God, the church. Also, if you look at most tarot decks, including mine, Allegory in there. Yeah. A lot. The Tower of Babel is the tower card. Building yourself on a false foundation and hubris. Wanting to build a tower so high um, you could talk to God. And God was like, fuck your tower. <laughs> and then also I'm gonna make you speak different languages. That's where the word battle, battle, comes from. I'm gonna make you speak different languages so you can't communicate enough to build a tower. So anyway, I think if people were educated about this stuff, they would understand. But I also understand I think tarot is not for everyone, right? But for me, I think it is just a great way to therapize yourself and give you tools to move forward. All right. So more questions. Sorry, I'm battling on this. Oh, i just the big.
0: Okay. So I've read about, i read about the issues of ageism in the entertainment industry. Like, When it comes to roles that you would like to see older black actresses, play, what would some of them be versus what they're operating now. I'll
1: say this, like things have changed a lot since okay. I first started, right? Again, older actresses back then mm-hmm. when I was young were relegated to grandma and that's it. Right. And that was it, there was no in-between. I will say things are a little different now, but I do think ageism will always play a part yeah. in Hollywood. The producer of the craft about a year or two after it came out, mm-hmm. I guess he found out my age. And he, I saw him ran into him out of Sony at the lot and he was like, how dare your age? And uh, I don't know, I guess I wouldn't have cast her if I know your age, but you are so right for it. So that's ageism in Hollywood. And the, and the thing is, I don't even look the oldest I love in that movie.
2: movie. <laughs> I
1: love that. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone else. I'm just saying, I don't look the oldest. I'm not the issue. And I also think that movie matched up perfectly with me and uh, where I was mentally too, that would movie- been a little silly and so being able to play a little younger and look at those experiences i had for a new les as far as roles i'd like to see old play just anything just not being relegated to a non-sexual non-alive person who was old oh little timmy here's your thing i'm just the grandma i'm just, a, have, I'm just here to pass the bath thing wait a no. I always I'm not the droid you're looking for yet, because yeah, I get called in on hardcore grandma roles. and I, Some of them are appropriate, by the way. The younger grandma who's fun and hip. But the black grandma on the couch, true? Don't want the So I want us to be able to play anything. I want us to be able to play the president. I want us to be able to play the bus driver as well. But I want us to play all different sides. Just like I'm sure, and this is a conversation for another day, but I talked about this upstairs. I grew up on John Hughes movies, right? Which were all white, except for the one Asian character, and his ethnicity was literally the joke. His name, it was insulting. It was blue. So, my point is moving forward out of that. And that was a big deal that that one Asian character was even in that movie, right? Yeah, but it's
0: definitely a lot of people back. So, it might as well not happen. That's right. So,
1: my point is whatever. but well, whatever group we are, I want to see more story right. of your upbringing. I don't even mean they have to be Asian-specific. I mean, right. whatever your upbringing was in America right. at this time period. Was specific, Chief? Mm-hmm.
3: Aloha my kakou. Welcome, everyone. Today on the Moana Nui podcast, we are proud to celebrate July 31st as La Hoi Hoi Hoi'ea, Sovereignty Restoration Day, a national celebration in the Kingdom of Hawaii. Hawaii has long been a strategic point on the global map. Some may know about the illegal occupation by the U.S. in the late 1800s, but even fewer are aware of the first illegal occupation in 1843 by the British. Contending maritime powers in the 19th century, principally England, France, and the U.S., recognized the strategic importance, and by the 1840s, Rear Admiral Richard Thomas, commander of the British squadron in the Pacific, sent Lord George Paulette to Honolulu to protect British interests. On February 10, 1843, George Paulette, the captain of the British frigate Carrisford, landed in Honolulu Harbor. He had heard complaints from the British consul and rumors of land disputes. Without any authorization, Paulette declared the islands as British territory. Paulette then threatened King Kamehameha III, also known as Kauikeaoli, burned all Hawaiian flags, then placed himself and a military group in charge and restricted trade in the port. Such desecration and disrespect. While Kamehameha III and his ministers objected, they formally ceded sovereignty to avoid violence. I think we've heard that one before. Now, this occupation lasted five months. So here's the question Who is George Paulette? Mr. Paulette was an officer of the Royal Navy. He served in the Portuguese Liberal War, the Spanish First Carlist War, and protected British interests and property. As we now know, he served in the Pacific Station, where he took quote-unquote unofficial action to occupy Hawaii. But even after that, he went on to serve during the Crimean War and received a number of awards and was promoted through the ranks at the rank of full admiral. Makes you wonder what discipline looks like in Britain, right? How does an officer of their military take this kind of action and still be rewarded with future assignments and an actual award? In any case, Great Britain had already recognized independence and France had promised to do likewise. Protests mounted in the islands, but this provisional session to Paulette was also received with consternation in foreign capitals. Eventually, Admiral Thomas himself arrived in Honolulu on the frigate Dublin on July 26, 1843. He went to Hawaii to assure Kamehameha III of the English government's good faith. Great Britain declared Paulette's actions to be unauthorized, and on July 31, the Hawaiian flag was raised once again. On the afternoon of July 31, 1843, Kamehameha participated in a service of thanksgiving at Kauai Ha'o Church, where he shared the phrase, Uamao Ke'ea o Ikapono, translated as the life of the land is perpetuated in righteousness, which eventually became Hawaii's state motto. In 2022, the Hawaii state legislator designated Iea as an official state holiday to be observed on July 31st. Kamehameha III first established the Sovereignty Restoration Day in 1843, after that illegal occupation. Today, Native Hawaiians continue to advocate for autonomy against what is seen as an ongoing occupation by the United States. Kumu Hinalei Wongkalu, a leader and advocate for Kanaka Maole language and cultural preservation, put it best, The reason we continue to educate and empower our people is because we want a healthy and thriving, not only Hawaii community, but everyone else who lives in Hawaii as well. I would also say that it's important to educate anyone, regardless of where they live, so that they can really understand, appreciate, respect, and advocate for the continued support of Hawaii to reclaim its sovereignty. So there you have it. July 31st is Sovereignty Restoration Day for Hawai'i to celebrate the reclamation of our kingdom from the British government. As our king once proclaimed, and was made even more infamous by Brada Israel Kamakaviva ua Uamao ke'ea o Ikopono, the life of the land is perpetuated in righteousness. To learn more about Kanaka Maoli and Hawai'i history, Tune in to the Moana Nui podcast Kuliana series, which you'll find on your favorite platform with sponsorship from Papa Ola Lokahi. Mahalo.
0: Hey, my name is Alan Z,
1: And my name is Jay.
0: We have a special guest today by the name of Karen Ashley.
2: Hello, guys.
0: <laughs> Hello. So let's dive into your latest venture, which Yes. Answer. Could you tell us a little bit more about the new episode?
2: We, Power Rangers turned 30. And yeah, we got a cool special movie called Once and Always. It's on Netflix. Um, but no, it was cool. We knew that they were going to do something for the 30th anniversary. We didn't know what. We never know what. And so it was very cool to find out that it was going to be a Mighty Morphin episode yeah. and that they were going to try to bring back as many of the original Mighty Morphin team as they could. And so, yeah, we got to go to New Zealand and we got to shoot it, and we were super excited. We knew it was going to be, we knew early on that it would be a love letter to Trini. And me personally, because I I literally shared the same costume she wore. Like, we were, like, I always felt like we were connected yeah. no matter what. I, and I always admired her as an actress and as a woman. So I, w- I thought it was well overdue. Like, we lost her in the early 2000s. So for us, it, personally, we were very excited to know that they were going to continue her story. We didn't know about her, them introducing her daughter until way later, mm. but it was just really cool that they were gonna do a whole episode dedicated to her. Wow.
0: Yeah. So I want to go into your musical background. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about uh, Crunch and the things you did for mm. prior Power Rangers.
2: I know, people think uh, my life started when I got on Power Rangers, it did not. Yes. <laughs>
0: My here career. We here
3: we go. Yeah,
2: that's it. That's it. I know. I hate to break it to you. Yes. But yeah, I was in a group called Crush. We were signed to A and M Records. We were actually signed to Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis's actual label under A and M. And it was great. I always tell people that's what got me ready for like the world because that was where my work ethic was established like kids will go to cheerleading practice or soccer practice and i literally had to give up soccer because i was in crush Mm -hmm. so any spare time we had weekends were always spent rehearsing but that kind of got me ready and it was funny when i was auditioning i had to do you had to be for power rangers i had to do either a dance routine martial arts routine or a Mm -hmm. gymnast you had to be either one of those things i was a dancer and I knew, walk it in, when they said, oh, you got to do a routine, I was like, oh, I got a routine. I didn't even have to rehearse because I already had one in my brain. I, I had been dancing for years. Mm-hmm. So I always said that Crush was my, I guess if you have college, that's your, <laughs> getting you ready for that yeah, big yeah. job. Yeah. Well, that was my college experience. Yeah. And then, but yeah, I was in Crush from when I was like 12 until I was like 18 years old.
0: Yeah. Would you still want to do music?
2: You know, I we talk about it. Yeah, Stevie, yeah. my friend Christy, she's yeah. with me all the time. We talk about it all the time. And, no, I, I never say never, but I'm pretty sure we'll probably one day get back in the studio. Yeah, it's I mean, just, it, it'll just be nice. I think it would be cool if we did it for the right time, the yeah. right project, and we could really do something like that. But, yeah, who knows?
0: The fact that, like, first <laughs> had to get in special
2: yeah you guys gonna- yeah if i could go back to was 30 years later i could go back to crush 40 years later yeah. at some point maybe it's 50 maybe it'll be the 50th anniversary of crush yeah. we'll do it we started when we were super young so that's actually not that far away
0: yeah. i want you to dive into your business ventures could yes. tell us a little bit more about rangers.com
2: yeah, you guys know we do tons of cons. I've met you guys at cons yeah, and yeah. we travel the world. It's the coolest job I think I've ever had is doing Comic-Cons. But I was 15 years into doing, or not even 15 years, probably like 10 years into doing cons. And I was like, we have no skin in the game. We own nothing. We just go to these shows. We make money and there's nothing wrong with that. It's all great. You see, there's tons of vendors, tons of artists. We all do it. But I thought we have enough business savvy. We know enough people that we could do our own con. Right. And we also know how, like when we've gone to cons, how great we've been treated and how terrible you've been treated. When it's just mm-hmm. basic stuff, it's travel, hotel, and you just take care of them while they're there. You feed them, you gotta feed the actors. <laughs> so I was like, we could totally do that. And our friend Mike, he was actually already doing his show at, in Orlando called Ranger Stop. And I told him, I said, would you consider partnering with us, me and Nikia Baris? and do ranger stop and pop and the reason it's and pop is because we wanted pop culture guests Mm -hmm. anime guests Mm -hmm. and power rangers so we didn't want it to just be another ranger show we wanted Uh, to be able to bring in other people because we we had so many friends like i've met the biggest voice actors i've met the biggest actors and and i am like what cooler way to spend a weekend with your friends and to have them at your show we're going into year five and we're so excited Yes, next year. We're already planning next year, June 21st through the 23rd. And you get it here first. This is an exclusive. We're changing locations. We're at the Omni CNN this nice. next year. Nice.
1: <laughs> yes. <Awesome. laughs> okay. So follow up in the comments. Just being <laughs> How's your experience? And what's it like? Let's tell to your thoughts.
2: I love Blurcon. I did my first Blurcon. I, I don't know. I think it might have been about five years ago. I don't. I can't remember. I don't know. I have to ask Hilton. pre uh, Yeah, totally pre-pandemic. I did my first Blurred Con and I was floored. I had no idea that there was a con that was dedicated to Blurreds. And I just love it. I love walking around. I love seeing all the different cultures. I love seeing us have fun because if you go to other cons, you know, we're a minority in those scenes. And so not that we're not there. There's not many of us. Right. And so this world... I feel like one thing I love about a con, just in general, is that the weirder you are, the cooler you are. It's like a safe space for everyone. And what other cultures than minority cultures need a safe space? So I love the fact that Blurred is is around. I will support it until the day I die. I just love the fact. I just love looking around and seeing all of us in costumes and seeing us dressed and having fun and every party. I mean, there's a, a cookout. There's like people. I mean you get ride fit you get ride catfish at Blurred King Damn. damn. So that's the thing. I just love the cultural diversity and having a show that is dedicated to black
1: nerds. And then a follow up question that is just talking about initial presentation with my little other characters you like to oh. see? media like this when we are the heroes. All of them every
2: character. Every position. I've, I just feel we've seen it so many times. There'll be a movie. Where you get a breakout movie with a full cool black cast and or uh, if Crazy Rich Hazen. And then they, it never, you never get another one. But they're mega hits, And I don't understand Hollywood. I thought Hollywood, if nothing else, they were greedy and they wanted to make money. And it's always about money. It's always about the deal. So I don't understand how they have it. And it just really has to break down the fact that I don't know what it is, but there's, I mean, we know what it is. But I, we, if you want to call it that people have said, oh, Hollywood's racist or whatever, you got to think about it. if you don't want to make money and you know that these shows and these movies and all of this creates a huge revenue for their studio, and then you still don't do it. And you can imagine a dinosaur flying through the air, but you can't imagine, you know, a multicultural cast. You really have to, Hollywood really needs to take a look in the mirror because for me, I think that we should do it all. We have. We should be in every role okay. in every genre. You're over, yeah.
1: You're 30, the power. you are still so this And we're a part of culture. You know, thank you. Know, you. Inspire, like, and especially. So, 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 yeah. And let's continue to have, like I said, more things. You yeah. People, you know, I yeah. Black women. And yeah. And that was, like, what we want to continue to so, see Yeah. Like,
2: yeah, and that's the thing. I just, I know that. Power Rangers was almost 30 years ago, but it's, we were doing, I felt like that show was so far ahead of the yeah. curve. Every single kid has had someone look like them, yeah. be the hero. Yeah. And that, that's huge. And they've been doing it for 30 years. And so I just need Hollywood to catch up. And even like Wonder is accomplished. Like you think about Chris Summer, she's Ooh. so accomplished. Like, I was looking at them and think, I was like, dang, I didn't realize she did that character And that. If it doesn't end. But think about the industry as a whole voiceover. How many other black women have that kind of, there's no, there's, there's hardly anyone else. So it's every industry still needs work. And hopefully with us doing this and, and, and shows like BirdCon being so successful and different movies coming out, hopefully that one day it'll change. Or we start producing our own stuff.
0: I was going to go into that. What? Could you talk about your, which I don't know, there's some stuff that like, you don't want to disclose, but in terms of like writing, work, do you want to tell us about that? Well, you know
2: what? I've been doing that for years and we, it's funny because a friend of mine, I was, I remember I first got to Hollywood and I had done Power Rangers and I had done a few other shows and, but still I wasn't getting the calls that my, my white girlfriends got. Like they would get 10 auditions a week and I'd get one. And so it was like. It was very frustrating. And so one of my good friends, he was like, instead of sitting there and being, you know, depressed or whatever it is yeah. you're going through, <laughs> he goes, why don't you write your own characters? Why don't yeah, you produce yeah. your own films? And right. that statement changed my life because I was like, why Why am I not doing it? And I encourage people all the time, especially now you got YouTube, you've got Facebook, you got every kind of medium that you could release your own film on. Yeah, exactly. And like most of our phones are a, a digital videos. So it's like exactly you, if you just light it, <laughs> spend some money on some good lighting, that phone could capture the HD quality film that you needed to qu- catch. So it's just one of those things where I encourage everyone to do it. And I've been doing it for years and I've got a few projects in the pipeline and we're, it's crazy cause we're pitching them. And even now it's still, again, hard to get in the rooms that we need to yeah. get into. But I just keep going. We just got to keep pushing. And if one of us gets in and one of us is able to do it, then hopefully they reach back and pull some of the other. Yeah, but sure. I understand it takes time, but we're working on it.
0: Yeah,
1: appreciate sure.
2: it. Thank you for being a part
1: of the
0: work. Thank you. <laughs> appreciate it. Thank,
2: yeah. you. thank you. So yes, thank, thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yes. Oh, Oh. Oh. see, leave it up to Dana, one of our producers, to remind me to plug my own podcast. You guys watch the BOP, the Blurred Official Podcast, every Tuesday. You can find it on my page, Official Karen Ashley, or you can find it on our page, the BOP Podcast. Yes, check us out. It's hilarious because it's just a bunch of Blurreds talking about nerding stuff, and we just wanted you to smile and have fun and, and take a break from the real world and come into the fantasy world with us and just have a good time.
3: So
2: check it out. Oh, and you can find me at Karen Ashley. You can find me at official Karen Ashley and I, you'll find me. I'm all over the place and I, I'll be in a, a city near you or a country near you very soon.
3: Thank <laughs> <laughs> hey, you,